This is episode 37 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Hello, my Extraordinary Women friends. I am having so much fun in this series of the 2018 inductees to the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame, and this interview is no exception. You are going to love Faye Matsukage. Faye wakes up every day and looks at this sticky note in her mirror that she's written to herself. This is what it says. You have to be the change you want to see in the world. And she lives by this. That's probably one of the reasons she's being inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Faye is an accomplished attorney with a reputation for professionalism and integrity, and she's dedicated her life and career to furthering the interests of women and those of Asian Pacific descent. She has, she's done civic engagement. She's got huge humility. She's has a lot of courage under adversity. She's got a wonderful work ethic and her contributions to the state of Colorado and our community is really what exemplifies the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. And I'm so honored to get to interview her today. Faye shares her story of how she saw a need to make a difference, going back to that sticky note that she has has hanging on her mirror and has for years in this very white, male-dominated legal field focused on security law. She was one of the few women there, and she saw a need to make a difference. And so what'd she do? She went out and she founded the Colorado Asian Pacific American Bar Association, as well as their foundation. And then she was also instrumental in forming the Colorado Women's Bar Association Foundation. All of these with the focus on promoting gender and race equity in the legal field. Today, Faye practices law at the Doida Law Group. She is one of the few female subject matter experts in security law with her level of seniority and experience. She also has made considerable long-term contributions to the legal field and to the Asian Pacific community. Let's meet Faye Matsukage. Well, welcome, Faye. It's so great to have you here on Extraordinary Women Radio today. Well, thank you for having me on. This is quite an honor for me. Oh, it's what an honor to be inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. How did you feel when you got the good news? You know, the whole thing has been overwhelming. You don't really <laughs> go through your everyday existence thinking that what you do is noticed by anyone else. You just uh, do it. Yes. So the fact that all of a sudden you get all of this recognition, it is overwhelming. Yes. Yes. Now I tell you, it's, you know, to, to see all this recognition coming at you and it's going to be a big year with 2018 with the big event that comes up in March where you will get inducted into the hall of fame. So it's going to be a fun next couple of months for you. It will be. So I was looking through all of the good, all the good information about you, and you are really a starter. 
You were a founding member of the Colorado Asian Pacific American Bar Association. You were a founder of the Colorado Asian Pacific Bar Foundation, and you were instrumental in forming the Colorado Women's Bar Association Foundation, which is promoting gender and race equity. Equity, so so impressive. Tell me a little bit about the driving factors that caused you to get involved and engaged in taking on, you know, being a founding member in all these different organizations. What was it that that got you saying yes to this? You know, I think when I look back, the turning point was um, started back in December of 1985. Okay. Um, I lost my dad. He passed away at a very young age at 59. Um, I was only 30 years old at the time. And he was my closest friend, my biggest supporter. And all of a sudden, he's not there to talk to all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And the realization is, I'm going to have to do this on my own. Right. Um, a, about the same time, I, I met my present husband. At the time, he was um, someone we, you know, who I met over business. But he was also the one telling me, "You can do this. You can go out and start your own firm. You've got all the ability. You've got the talent to do it." Um, so I met him roughly the same time. And in March of 1986, I opened up my own law office. I left okay. the partnership I was in. And decided to do it on my own. Right. And I think that was the first stepping stone. I realized I can do this. And I was um, I was meeting with a, a good degree of success. And one of my very close friends from college and law school was starting to get very involved in um, bar association activities. She is a Latina. And she was doing you know, paving her way to the Colorado Hispanic Bar. So she was encouraging me to start joining forces with her um, to really start to voice concerns from women of color in the legal profession. Mm-hmm. So in 1989, I started um, agreeing to help her plan, um, oh, you know, seminars, um conferences, that type of thing. And that was sort of my launching pad to all of this. And so you were speaking Um, on these topics. I was speaking, helping to organize things, but I think, you know, you do things in steps. It was, you know, for starting my my own office and then getting involved in these conferences and just, you know, realizing that I can do this. Right. I mean, I think our, our biggest doubters are ourselves. Oh, it's totally. And, and talk uh, to us. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about that because so many people that listen to this podcast are thinking about starting something, right? They're thinking about going and either making a difference on something or they are wanting to start their own organization. So talk a little bit about the what shows up for you when when you are in this space of of thinking, gosh, I could do this, but then that self-doubt starts to show up. I think what has to happen, though, after you start to have that doubt, mm-hmm. is then you have to have that second voice that says, what have you got to lose? Right. 
And in you know, any cases, I, the answer is nothing. <laughs> yes. You know, that is so funny because it's an interesting, my story parallels very closely to yours from the perspective of, I lost my father the same month that I lost my job. And, and that, I know you didn't lose your job, but I made that, that's the, the pivotal point for me where I left the corporate world and went to start my own thing. And um, the same year I met my husband, right? So there, there's some, some parallels there. And um, I remember my husband saying to me at that point was, his, his point was, when he's, people kept telling me to go start my own business. And I said to him, I'm a corporate woman. I, you know, I've done that my whole life. I'm a corporate woman and um, I'm not an entrepreneur. And um, my husband said to me, you know, I think it's time for you to do this. And he was kind of my, my lifting person who helped me make that step and stood behind me and said, what have you got to lose in the midst of all of that? Yes, it's so important, I think, to have that person that keeps nudging you mm -hmm. because there are going to be times when you start thinking, am I just crazy? Am I in over my head? And you do need that person to say, no, you're not. Keep going. You know, you've got this. You right. know, um, I've got a, a sticker, one of those notepads in my bathroom. So while I get dressed in the morning, you know, the notepad says, you have to be the change you want to see in the world. Mm. That's my reminder. Nice. So you see that every morning. Yes. Nice. Nice. Okay. So you get these ideas. These seeds are planted. You're starting to do these early steps of you've you've left your 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 job. You've started your own firm. You've um, started doing the workshops. How did it start to unfold from that point? From founding well, these different groups. What happens is that. You know, then you meet other like-minded people because right. all of a sudden when you're out there somewhat in the public saying what you want to do, then you have other people that says, you know, I've always thought that this is what we needed. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden there's two or three or half dozen of you all saying the same thing. And then, then you build that excitement, you build that momentum and, you know, there truly is strength in numbers. Right. Right. And community. Yes. And what were some of the, what were some of the, you know, you said that everybody was saying the same thing. What were the driving factors under, you know, that, that you were all facing that you knew something needed to change? What were you seeing? What were you experiencing in your work? Okay, let me give you an example. When I was going to law school at the University of Denver, I was attending from 1976 to 1979. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there were three of us students in the whole law school that were of Asian descent. Okay. And I started to realize that there were so few of us because I would take the bus into, into law school and I, I, would, I would have comments from... Um, people on the bus saying, so what are you studying? And I just said, I'm going to law school. And they just said, you're kidding. Oh, I mean, really? They, they couldn't so they... place my face with being a lawyer. And that was happening quite a bit. I mean, there back then, I think Denver had only one. Um, it was just a Chinese restaurant downtown, which is um, Adam Bannock, where I think Racine's. Okay. Now, okay. Um, that was it. Okay. But that is um, how 
unusual we were. I think I think then Asian attorneys generally met male and female were taken to be kind of an oddity. Mm-hmm. And but I think especially for Asian women, I think the stereotype is that we're subservient that uh, we can't be assertive and that we certainly wouldn't be the ones advocating for clients. Um, Right. And so when you did meet another Asian woman attorney, you just wanted to compare notes and and you wanted to make sure that you weren't the one that was crazy who had seen (laughs) all of this. Yes, yes. And so coming together like that in community started to shift things. You started to see the possibilities for creating these various associations and foundations to um, really start to change that perception. Yes, and you know, it always helps when you've got someone else to call when you need the pep talk or where you've had that crazy thing happen to you. Um, and you just need to, to sometimes know that you've got that person in your corner. Right. So that you can keep on going. Right, right. It's absolutely it's so good to have that, that we can lean back into at any given point. Well, good, good. So that's, so you, you, you founded those associations in the foundation. And um, then, you know, just let's talk about your work in your field because you are a leading expert and a thought leader in the whole world of security law. And that is, you know, a very traditionally male-dominated field. And what have you learned over the years about women leaders in such male-dominated industries? And just would love to hear what your experiences were when you started stepping up as the expert. How did you have to show up differently? What, you know, what, what would you like to share with other women who are having to be in male dominated spaces that, you know, to be taken seriously, to be that thought leader, what do they need to know? I think Again, you have to have that confidence in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, men and women exude that confidence so differently. Mm-hmm. Men are the chest beaters. You know, they're the ones that can shout from the top of the steps how great mm-hmm. they are. And I think women have a hard time doing it. Mm-hmm. Women, by their nature, are just going to make sure the job gets done. Mm-hmm. We, I, I mean, I think that, that we are... Um, the infrastructure is the valuable in- infrastructure to so much of what goes on in our communities. And the business world is no different. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found that other women attorneys that I work with in this field do very well. I think we are naturally very detail-oriented, which is what this particular area of law requires. Mm-hmm. Um, and securities law, unlike the world of litigation, Securities law is very collaborative. It is a team of people that is working as a group to achieve a certain objective. And typically it's, you know, helping companies through raising the necessary capital for their business plan. So you've got a a number of parties. You've got the people bringing in the money. You've got the company. Um, You've got others that have a stake in the whole project. And so in order to get the job done, you need people who can work collaboratively. Um, it works best if you don't have a lot of egos in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, you need to have people that can work through the maze of regulations or, you know, parameters set by 
um, the various parties in the transaction. I mean, you need people that can that can just problem solve and say, okay, we just need to get from point A to point B, and what's the best way to get it done? And women are very good at all of those things, aren't they? They're excellent at those things. Right. Um, because a lot of times, as I say, I, I think we naturally put our egos to the side and mm-hmm. just say, let's just get the job done. This is what I'm here to do. We collaborate. Yes. We want to be on that team. We collaborate. Yes. So in answer to your question, you know, what do you do? I think, you know, first and foremost, um, you get your job done. Um, mm-hmm. If you don't know the answers, you do whatever you need to find them. Um, but the best thing, I think, that speaks volumes to others that, are, that you're going to be working with, particularly the men, is competence. Right. And right. once they see it, then I think they give you that due respect. Right. So it's, it's, it's continuing to do the, the, the strong work. Um, and, you know, I think that one thing that you mentioned there is that the women aren't generally the chest beaters. We aren't generally the, the, the big, big egos. And um, there is a different way of being as women. I mean, I often call it lead with grit and grace. So it's like there's this, this, this grit that we're, you know, we're consistent at it. Just, you know, that part that you're talking about, um, you know, be good at what you're doing and do the work. But the grace part of it is us showing up, not trying to be like our male counterparts, but actually just trying to be like who we are as women and owning that beautiful gift of who we are as women. And that's what brings the grace into it. I'll give you one example um, on one transaction I found where uh, my male counterpart on the other side of the table had made a serious error. And typically there's emails that have, oh, a dozen CCs on them. Everyone's copied in on everything. And I saw the mistake and I chose just to privately email him to tell him mm-hmm. rather than to bring it up to the whole group. And that helped tremendously because I think he knew I wasn't there to show him up. I just wanted things to be right. And um, after that, it changed the whole relationship. I think he, he had some real respect for me that, you know, I am just um, trying to achieve the results my client needs to get. Right. And I'm trying to be the person on the deal. Right. And I think that, um, that, Women, as women, we often take the relationship into consideration in such a beautiful way. So I think that's that's a great example of that. It's a beautiful example of that. So how are you helping to, you know, as you've, you've built this pathway before you, you've built this, you know, you've been a trailblazer in your field. How are you helping to open up pathways for other women into this field today? You know, I think the important thing is to to mentor wherever you can. I mean, mm-hmm. for example, um, I could say, you know, given where I am at this stage in my career, I don't need to attend, you know, various bar functions or activities. But I think that's that's the wrong attitude. Um, I think the thought ought to be, well, maybe I don't need to do this, but maybe someone would benefit from my being there. Mm-hmm. And 
so I do go to uh, you know a lot of meetings so that I can meet some of the younger attorneys um, so that we can trade um, inf contact information and get to know each other because I think that there's a lot of younger attorneys that want someone to go to. They don't know how to do it. Uh, they don't know how to to make those connections. So I I try to stay fairly active in in these activities so that I'm out there. And I think it's even more important in this day and age where we all tend to work from our desks and not really um, see each other person to person. Right. There's so much technology that keeps us out of the face-to-face the -face conversations. So. Right. And, and I think without that, it's hard to make that contact. Um, and I enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy mentoring law students at DU and... Um, you know, mentoring younger attorneys and just, as I say, just, just being there. Right. And so just taking the time. I mean, that's the beautiful thing it sounds like you're doing is just taking the time and making the space in your life to do that. Well, as I say, I, I think we all get, you know, so much out of, out of making all of these uh, new contacts ourselves. I, right now I work with uh, younger attorneys than mm -hmm. I am and, mm -hmm. um, I had to learn a lot of the newer technology, and I am loving it. There's a, okay. there's a certain kind of energy. Yes, yes. So, and to keep learning, then along with that, right? So that um, your that your skill sets become relevant in the mix, in the mix of you know the current age. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So. As, let's just go back to when you were 20, thinking back to that time and looking at your life now, how did you think your life would, that you would be where you're at today that, you know, what's the, the comparison and the contrasting of uh, what you thought, wh where you thought your life was going when you were 20 and where it is today? So at 20, I was, oh, Probably, you know, I was still in college, and at that point, it is just getting through classes. It is making enough, spending money by working. I worked at the cafeteria, but just to get by. And mm -hmm. you have such a mm -hmm. one-dimensional look at life at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think it's so different now. Um, at age 62, you see life so differently, and I think it's largely due to the number of experiences that we have. I mean, for example, when you when you hear the story on, on the radio about, um, you know, a, a parent losing a child or um, you hear about uh, couples that are struggling, I mean, invariably you've, you've experienced some part of that. Um, and so you get so much more of of what you're exposed to than when you're 20 years old and you have no idea what it's like. Right. So I would say in a way, you know, there's our senses are opened up because of all of these experiences that we've had. Um, there's a lot more um, thought that goes into everything that you see or hear. And I think also you know, at 62, you start to realize you're not going to be around forever. You never think that at age 20. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you start to think, what's really important here? Right. And you do view life differently because of that. And what is the legacy you hope people remember you by? Um, 
if I had something that I to put on my tombstone, I would write, I would want it to say she cared. Mm, nice. She cared and she took some action. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about your story, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I think that's the main thing. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of people that I run into don't even know what I do for a living, but they might only know me because, you know, I, um, from church, I knew that they were having difficulties and brought over dinner. You know? Right, right. And that's as important to me as clients that said I did a good job for them. Right. What What are you most proud of in your life? Oh, you know, I think you're going to get the same answer from me as you would get from most other mothers. I would say my my child. Right, right. Seeing your child grow up and evolve and grow. I can totally yeah, relate um, to that. I can totally relate to that. My son is 34 now and uh, he's, uh, he's just, you know, it's just such a warm love that you can have for your, for our children and to see how the, you know, they become their own people. Mm-hmm. My son's 28 mm-hmm. and um, he is the most um, sensitive person, kind person I know. Um, I joke with him because he is the person that I could go to a chick flick with because he would he would be patient enough to say I'll go I'll go with you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. It's because he's and he's seen you know he he would go to a chick flick with you, but he's also seen women through through your eyes, and I think that's such a beautiful thing that we as because I have a son as well, and as as mothers of sons, well, some of the most important things we can do is is show the world to our sons through through our eyes um, so that they can actually do things differently in the world than, you know, perhaps has been done in the past. I think our sons yes, can I be think, a beautiful gift. I think gift. that's so important. Yeah. Yes, yes. So you have this reputation for high integrity and that's, you know, it's written up, you've been written up about your high integrity. What does that mean to you? You know, that's everything. My dad, you know, when I was growing up, my dad would say, you need to get all the education you can, Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, that's all you really have. Mm -hmm. They can take everything else away from you, but what you know, you will always have. Mm -hmm. And he always said the same thing about our integrity, that, you know, you need to stand for something. And... When you have a last name like Matsukage, and there's, I think I'm the only one in the United States at this point. Oh, really? People know who you are. Okay. (laughs) I think there's some in Japan, but I don't think there's any others in the United States. Okay. Okay. So when you have that type of last name, you want to make sure you stand for something good. (laughs) You don't want that name to go down and... That's right. Right. You got to honor that. Well, that's, that's good. I like that. That's, that's really beautiful. And if you had the ability, is there anything that you would change in your life? You know, I, I've thought about that. You know, my husband and I have this conversation when we go for walks and we just say, okay, so if we were to win the lottery tomorrow, what would we change? Uh And we say nothing. Nice. And I look back at my life. And I say the same thing because I, I think sometimes 
we're, we're led to difficult situations because that's the only way we grow. And we realize that we've got the ability to withstand them. Right. If we had this perfect path with no detours, no obstacles, we would never know that. Right. So I look back at some of the things that have happened and yes, it was, it was hard. It was devastating at the time to lose my dad when I was only 30. Mm -hmm. It was, um, you know, difficult to go through some other situations I've gone through. And I thought, you know, but then how would I know for myself that I can, I can get through all of these things. Right. And we grow when we go through big things in our life, right? We do. I, um, I joke though to my husband, I just said, you know, my next life, I would love to be a gardener or I would love to do, I know I, I come up with all these other things. Um, but I think we always just say, oh, that would be such a great existence. Right. Right. But when it comes down to it, I don't think I would change anything. Right. No, it's, it's, you've built a beautiful path and it's, I always say trust what the universe is taking us through and, and taking us into and we're, that we're exactly where we're supposed to be in our life. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in fate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe that, that each of us um, is on a path, not necessarily of our own creation. Mm-hmm. And that we just have to um, show how we take that path um, as best we can, and which, and you know, as you say, with with as much grit and grace as you can. Right. We have to show up in that pathway and and engage in that pathway. Um, but absolutely, it's it's. I I would agree with you totally. It's like we're we're. I actually call it a journey. Um, in my book, I call it a spiral journey. We're on this journey in our life that is really helping us evolve and grow and bring in all, all of our life experiences into where we're going next. And it, you know, we just, the right people seem to show up in our world and the right opportunities and the right experiences because we are engaging in, in being in life, you know, living in life um, in a very active way that that's taking right, us somewhere. That saying, everything happens for a reason. Right, right. Right, right. Okay, so the final question for today is, what three pearls of wisdom can you leave our audience? Um, don't compare yourself to anybody else. Mm, that's a beautiful one. one. Mm-hmm. I used to be just, um, I think, horribly shy um, and down on myself because I would compare myself to the most popular girls in high school and um, the ones that had the pretty clothes and always seemed to be the ones that had the most friends. And it took me a long time to realize that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think about those years, you know, when you're unhappy and, and it always seems to be either in uh, high school or middle school or something you know, kids go through that. And I would say, just don't compare yourself. Right. Right. And how do you, how do you, because that's an easy thing to say. It's a harder thing to do, right? I think you just have to remember or, you know, think about the fact that everyone has been given certain talents in this life Mm -hmm. and you have to remember those talents. 
just say, you know what, this is, these are the gifts I've been given, and that makes me pretty special. I so agree with that. But that also means that other people have different gifts, and that's why everyone's needed. Right. We're not all built alike or made alike. Exactly. It's, it's, it's fun that you say that because in my book, that's what I talk about. It's like I take people into who are you at your very essence because there's nobody else like you. And if you know who you are at your essence and how you're meant to make a difference with the gifts of who you are, you can go set your pathway out for yourself. And it's a, a way that um, it's not, it's not a, you're not living in a life of scarcity. You're really living in a life of abundance because all of our gifts are meant to matter in our own unique ways. And if we're really living into that purposeful state, that enables us to do that. So right, but that's why you need those people who remind you of that. Because you said, yes, easy to say, hard to do. Uh-huh. But that's why you need those people in your corner that will remind you when you forget. Ah, yes. Very, very good. Very good. Is that your second one? Or is that just part um, of the first one? Part of the first one, I'd say my second one is to follow your instincts. I would say that our mm. instincts are right more than they're wrong. Right. And we need to trust that. So agree with that one. I think we need to, you know, a lot of times you'll, um, you're, you'll experience something you think, you know, that was great. I really need to send a note to that person to tell them how much it meant to me. Mm-hmm. And I have learned, I just need to do it when I'm thinking about it <laughs> and, and not just miss it like, oh, it was just the, the thrill of the moment or something. And I've never regretted doing it. And people come back often. often. Yeah. And people come back, will say, you won't believe how important that was to me at that moment because you followed that instinct. So that, that intuition that told you to go do that will often just be so in alignment with what that other person really needs. Yeah. And I think we just too often, we let something else get in the way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, as I say, I, I've just learned over the years, I ought to just be better in following my own instincts. That's great. I love that. And then what's your third one? Keep the promises and commitments that you make. Mm, that's a good one. That's a really good one. And how has that one that served one you? Stretched, yeah. You know, that one stretches from everything like... I know I really need to clean that closet, but I would rather not, but I mm. promised myself I would. So the ones to ourselves to, even. The ones to ourselves as well as the ones to others. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, the ones to others are more important, but even the ones to yourself. Um, you know, after Thanksgiving, you know, when you think, okay, after Thanksgiving, I am really going to start to work out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And then we don't. So yes, you have to keep those. <laughs> yeah, and okay, I'm guilty of it this week. You kick yourself. Right, exactly. Like, why didn't I do that? Exactly, exactly. No, I think that's a really good one. And that's a great one to be taking into the new year or well, in any time of the year. It's not just be taking into the new year, but it's certainly a good one. Make Keep those promises to ourselves and to others. Yeah, and I think I think in, in this day and age, it's um, even more important. You know, we've talked about the fact that you don't have that much person-to-person contact. Mm-hmm. You have people that are contacting each other through social media, perhaps, 
and they say and do things, but I don't know how serious those, those sentiments are. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes all the difference in the world to our existence. Right. To really follow through on what those sentiments were, you know, in that moment. Right. When someone says, you know, we really need to sit down and catch up. Right. You know, that's something I, I would say then. Yeah. Put it on your calendar, schedule it and do it. Let's do it right now. Because you never know what that means to someone else. Right. Right. Well, this has been awesome, Faye. I really appreciate it. And uh, congratulations again to you on becoming Colorado Women's Hall of Fame inductee. It's so impressive. And um, just I hope you have a wonderful holiday. And thank you so much for spending time with us. Well, thank you for having me and same to you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. I hope you like this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGelman.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.